0: came to the right place, if you want to get fed spiritually, because Life of Purpose Church is going to help you understand the Bible and get closer to God and love one another. Amen to that? That's right. So we started in Exodus 1 last week. We saw how God kept his promises to Abraham. He made Abraham's family into a great nation while they lived in Egypt. And then from a family of 70 to a family of 2 to 3 million. So it's an amazing growth. I did the math for you last week. 53 times the average growth, which is just unheard of. I mean, it's, it's impossible unless God is in it, and he was in it. And you can check out that message, by the way, all our stuff on our website, lopchurch.com. So the nation of Israel grew up, uh, really grew up, if you will, in Egypt. And as a result of them being there, the Egyptians were afraid of them. I mean, you can imagine, if you're in charge and it's your nation, and then there's a group of people that are not from your nation, and they grow up and they're like, way more the size that you are so they did what probably most people would do and sadly is they enslaved them Um, they tried to control them they tried to control their population by by basically making it legal for all any Egyptian to kill a baby boy that's a Hebrew that was the that was the you know that was the the legal for Pharaoh said you see a baby boy being born that's a Hebrew baby You're allowed to kill it, legal. Now, um, Hebrew was was something that uh, was a name, and if you read Exodus 1, you might have thought, wait a minute, I thought these were called Israelites. Anybody else like, kind of, what's a Hebrew? Um, Well, that's what what the Egyptians called them, and I'm going to explain that today. I'm going to explain what it means to be a Hebrew, and I think that's important, but by the way, what was Abraham's? Favorite drink? <laughs> Coffee. He brewed it perfectly. <laughs> if only we had a drummer. You know. <laughs> All right. So you're a Hebrew in, in Egypt, and uh, some of you are like, I got that. I finally got that. You're going to car ride home, and you're like, I got it. I get it. <laughs> he brewed it. He brewed Okay. Um, so you're a Hebrew, you're in Egypt, you have a child. It's a boy. Well, now you're in fear because if an Egyptian finds out, that boy is going to be taken from you and it's going to be killed. Unless God rescues your baby boy. And that's what happened to a very unique child. And that's why the title this morning is God Rescues Moses because we're in the first 10 verses of chapter 2 and we're going to see that God rescues Moses in the same way that God rescues Moses He can rescue you today. God's rescue plan has not changed. It doesn't need to change. It still works today. God takes you out of a land that worships multiple gods, and he puts you in a land that worships the one true God. He draws you out of danger and death, and he places you into safe hands that gives you eternal life. God rescues you. But isn't it sad, I think, today... I find it sad that there's a lot of people that don't see their need to be rescued. They don't see it. Because in this land that we live in, if you have your basic needs, if you have a job, you have a house, you have a car, you have friends, you have family, you have your health, then you're kind of like, life is pretty good. Right? I mean, life's good. I don't really need to be rescued. Which is exactly why Jesus said these words. It's easier for a camel you know, that big, big, giant camel, you know, to go through the eye of a needle. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to inherit the kingdom of heaven. The American lifestyle often makes it very hard to see a need for Jesus. And like myself, I know many of you went years and years and years without seeing any need for God in your life or Jesus or His church I mean, I was 25 years old before my eyes were finally opened to see the truth, to see the need. And that's when everything changed for me. And I think it's amazing how people can change just like that. Just like that. I mean, that's the beauty of the way God made us. We are not birds who must fly south for the winter. We woke up this morning and wished we were a snowbird flying south for the winter. But we're not. Birds have to do it. It's in their nature. The birds don't gather together every fall in Canada and take a vote. They just go. It's their nature. But not us. We're not birds. We're created in God's image, and we can change. And when God opens your eyes to see the truth of the love of God In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit, and and your eyes are open to that, and you realize, man, God rescues me. God rescued me. And that changes you. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul said these great words. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old passes away, the new has come. Because God has an amazing rescue plan. And today, we're going to see this plan through the birth of of Moses, but we're going to see how it's still happening today, how God still rescues us the same way. Are you ready for that? All right, let's pray. Father, may our hearts be open to hear your word today. May we put aside all the distractions for the next several minutes, whatever it takes, God, for us to hear May the the smell that's down below, may it not wafer up here, so much to distract us so we can't hear your word. For Lord, your spiritual food is more important than that food downstairs. God, may we put our focus on you. May we see the truth today. May it set us free. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. So my plan is to tell you what happened to Moses in Exodus 2, I'm going to flash back to Abraham in Genesis 14, I'm going to fast forward to Joshua in 24, and I'm going to do it all in about 20 to 25 minutes, all right, so we can get down there. You did wear your stretchy pants, I hope. (laughs) Today is like our favorite day of the year, it's the best meal of the year you're going to have, all right, we've been doing this now, this is our 16th year, isn't that exciting? 16 years, awesome. And every year we just, we look back and we say, oh yeah, that was a great agape. How can we do better? And then it's this year. It's like, man, this is better. Um, so Exodus 2, if you have your Bible, open it up. If you want a Bible, there's a blue Bible and a chair in front of you. You can have it. Take it with you if you'd like it. But we're in Exodus chapter 2, the second book in the Bible, the second chapter, verses 1 and 2, we're going to look at first. Moses is the writer. After the fact, obviously, because this story is about him and his birth. So a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, it's a universal truth. All babies are precious. Amen absolutely, but this baby was a little more than precious, in some way unique, like they knew it, the parents knew that there was something different about this child, precious, but definitely unique, and so they were hiding him, obviously from the Egyptians, so we look at verse 3 and 4, she could hide him no longer, maybe this baby was a crier, a little colicky maybe, I don't know, but couldn't hide it anymore, the Egyptians were going to find out. So she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister, whose name was Mar- Miriam, stood at a distant to know, distance to know what would be done to her little brother. See, I believe what you're seeing right here in verses 3 and 4 is a plan that's been bathed in prayer. This is a plan that they came up with. This is the parent's plan. But I believe it's bathed in prayer, and, I, and I'm going to explain why that is. Have you ever had a crisis happen in your life, um, and you just had no clue what to do? Like, you, you, I mean, big decisions need to be made, and you're just like, I, I, have no, I don't know what to do. Anybody ever been there before? You ever, yeah, yes, okay. So here's the thing. The wise Christian prays. Prays. Before they do anything else, they pray. The wise Christian takes wise counsel. There's a proverb that says, where there is no guidance, people fail. But with an abundance of counselors, there's victory. So we all need wise counsel. So you pray. And as you pray your mind then runs through like you know, a million ideas, doesn't it? You're thinking, like, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? But you're praying. But one of those ideas will bring you peace, should bring you peace. And if it brings you tremendous peace, well, that's the one that's been inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's the one that you go with. And so this family, I surmise, decided on this plan. And so they're going to put it in action. And, and there's, they put their little boy in this basket and they, they, they seem to know that uh, the Pharaoh's daughter will, will come down and, and bathe at the river as we're going to see in verse 5 here. But Sister Miriam is in position and here's the plan. The daughter of Pharaoh, verse 5, came down to bathe at the river. Her young women, her maids, were walking beside the river. Probably kind of keep a lookout, you know. No, don't want any uh, Egyptian boys sneaking in, uh, you know. <laughs> peep around here, you know, she's bathing in the river. So she saw this basket among the reeds and she told her servant women to, to go get it. In verse 6, she opened it up and she saw a child and this baby was crying. I told you, probably colicky or something, I don't know. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And this was the huge risk, don't you know? I mean, right now, like, at this very moment, Pharaoh's daughter could just have hatred in her heart towards Hebrews. And she could have just had this baby boy killed. Just like that. One one word from her, and it's over for this baby. But she had compassion. She had compassion. And it says in verse 7 that his his sister says to Pharaoh's daughter, his Sister Miriam. Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Now, I mean, you gotta stop and pause, and you, and you gotta look at the, the scripture when you read it, when you read the Bible, and you just gotta think about this. Like, to me, I'm like imagining, like, how did this go down? Right? I mean, is Sister Miriam like hiding in the cattails, you know? And she's watching the whole thing, you know? It's, what's, what's gonna happen next? And then she sees her, look at the back, and then she's like, you know, you know, just kind of strolling along, you know, like, oh, what do you got there? What's that? Well, we found a basket. Really? Such a pretty basket. She made it, you know. What, what's in it? A baby, a baby boy? Are you kidding me? I happen to know a woman that could take care of that baby. I mean, I don't know. This is what I picture in my head. Maybe you have some other story of how it goes down, but this is, this is possibly what happened, right? And the Pharaoh's daughter then, verse 8, says, go. She likes the idea. Go. And the girl goes, and, and she calls the child's mother. She calls her mom. And Pharaoh's daughter says to the mother, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages So the women took the child and nursed him. It's examples like this in the Bible that prove God has a great sense of humor. Do you see what just happened there? He took their plan and he kicked it up a notch. He says, I'm going to save this baby boy and I'm going to have the Egyptians pay you to do it. Is that not amazing? Praise God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. Verse 10, the child grew older. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. He became her son. And Pharaoh's daughter named him, this is interesting now, you would expect Pharaoh's daughter to name him of an Egyptian name, wouldn't you? It's her daughter. or It's her son. So give him an Egyptian name. But no, she gives him a name Moses. And Moses is a Hebrew name. And the reason why it's a Hebrew name is because it's a Hebrew word. She says, I drew him out of the water. And so she must have asked, like, what is the word for drew? And the word is masa. And the word for Moses is mesa. They sound the same. And so that's why she named him that. She gave him a Hebrew name. But what's really special here, I think more than anything, is that Moses is drawn out of the water And you see how how symbolic this is, that he was drawn out. He was rescued from danger and death. He was placed into safe hands and given a new life. See how that's God's rescue plan for Moses, and it's the same one for us? How he draws us out of danger and death and puts us in safe hands, his hands, and gives us a new life. The old has gone, the new has come. Isn't that wonderful, God's rescue plan? Now, next week, we're going to see Moses trying to save his people, the Hebrews, and he's going to come up with his own plan, and it's not going to work out so well. That's what happens when we come up with our own plans and don't follow God's plans, and bathe them in prayer. So, the rest of our time, I want you to see why this nation of Israel is called Hebrews, and why all Christians today, if you're a Christian, You're a Hebrew, too. Why is that? And I'm going to explain it to you. So I want to remind you about how God started this whole thing with these people. He started with Abraham. And Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. And Isaac had a son, and his name was Jacob. And Jacob, actually, in his journey, was given a new name from God. God renames them as a a way of of really, I think, revealing his own character because he names Jacob Israel. Now Israel's two words, it's Israel. El is God, Israel is power. So he says to Jacob, you're God's power, but I'm El Shaddai, God most powerful. He reveals his own character. I'm going to show my power through you, Jacob, but let everybody know I'm all powerful. I'm El Shaddai, I'm God Almighty. So Jacob has a new name, his name is Israel, and he has 12 sons. One of those is Joseph. You might have seen the play or musical. Which is it? (laughs) Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? My wife and I went to see that recently. So there's 12 sons or the 12 tribes of Israel. They call themselves the Israelites. But to the outsiders, they were called Hebrews. You probably noticed that in Exodus 1. The Egyptians are calling them Hebrews. And I thought to myself as I read that, does this mean like that the Hebrews, like to call them Hebrews, was this a derogatory thing? Was this a racial slur, an Egyptian's calling them out? And it, and it isn't. Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. So Hebrew is not a bad term. But we see it a lot here in Exodus. And it got me curious, like, what's the significance of this? Why are they called Hebrews? So I did a little digging. I thought to myself, this can't be the first time, or maybe it is the first time it appears in the Bible. Why are they being called a Hebrew? And so I did, uh, went back to the very beginning, to the very first time in the Bible it shows up, and that's where we're going to flash back to Genesis, chapter 14, and we're going to see that guess who called himself a Hebrew? Abraham. Genesis 14, verse 13. There was a situation going on with Abraham. His lot, his nephew Lot got uh, taken. His nephew Lot was living in a land you're probably familiar with called Sodom. Um, this was before it was a goner, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. But Sodom uh, was, was overtaken by some uh, enemies, and there was a man who escaped, a Sodomite, and he came to Abraham. And he told them what happened. And what does it say that he told, who did he tell? He told Abraham the Hebrew. So at some point, Abraham informed the people in that place that he was a Hebrew. Why would he say that? Why would he call himself that? And the answer to that is that Abraham's great, 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 that's four if you're keeping track at home, okay? Great, 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 great grandpa Eber. His great, 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 great grandpa Eber, all right, was his ancestor. And Eber, Eber means from the region beyond, from a foreign land far, far away, because Abraham had traveled a long ways away. Now, I thought, why would Abraham call himself Eber? Like, Eber's like in the middle of his family tree. You ever done a family tree before? You know? Uh, if you've ever done a family tree and you know all your ancestors and you go all the way back, you know, this was a, an obscure person to choose from. Why didn't he call himself Abraham the, 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 you know, the Shemster? He's from the line of Shem. <laughs> why didn't he call himself Abraham the Noahite? He's from the line of Noah. You know, why didn't he say that? Why did he say Abraham the Eber? And it means it's because he means. It means from the region beyond. And where was Abraham at? He was far away from home. His hometown was from the region beyond. So Abraham is living the Eber dream here, if you will. He's in a foreign land far away. He started his life born in the land of Ur. And if you know geography, that's in Iraq, by Kuwait, by the Persian Gulf. I'm sure it was a nice town because it was by the Euphrates River. But then Abraham's dad migrated the family up the river, the Euphrates River, and between the Tigris River, and that land is called Mesopotamia. And they went up to this place called Haran, and they stayed there until Abraham's dad passed away. And I'm sure it was a great land, and they probably would have stayed there, but God had a plan to get them out of there. You know why God had a plan to get them out of there? Because they worshipped many gods in that land. And I know this because the Bible tells me so. I know this because of Joshua. Joshua is very good at explaining this. And this is where we're going to fast forward through Exodus to Joshua 24, the end of Joshua. So Joshua was at one point Moses' right hand man. You'll see that in Exodus. And in this final chapter in the promised land, they're in there. And he wants to remind his fellow Hebrews of this long journey to get there. So Joshua gathers together all the leaders, the elders and everybody, and he brings them all together, and he says in verse 2 of Joshua 24, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived, where? Beyond the Euphrates. And I underline that word because that's the word Eber. That's Grandpa Eber. Right there, that's what the word Eber means, beyond. And it was Terah, the father of Abraham and of Naor, and they served other gods. There it is. In Mesopotamia, they didn't worship one true God, they worshiped many gods. And our God, the one true God, is a jealous God, isn't he? He doesn't want you worshiping idols. He wants you worshiping him. And so he called Abraham into a nation of people to be holy, that means to be set apart, because he is holy, to be the light of the world. And then it says in verse 3, He took Father Abraham from beyond that great river, the Euphrates, and led him through to the land of Canaan, and he made many offspring. It was from beyond the river. And so what does it mean to be a Hebrew? You see, for the Egyptians, they called him a Hebrew, and for them it just meant foreigner. You live far away. But for the Israelites to be called a Hebrew meant so much more. (laughs) To the Hebrew meant you passed through a great river, you traveled a long, hard journey to get to a land that God promised you. If you were a Hebrew, it meant that God had to take you out of a land that served many gods and bring you into a land that served the one true God. So being a Hebrew is a reminder that there's a great journey. A journey that escapes the old and embraces the new. A journey that leaves behind lies and looks forward to and loves the truth. A journey that avoids death and accepts new life. So as a Christian today, you're a Hebrew today because you're on a great journey, aren't you? It's been a long ways, right? Right? Yeah, you're living in a land right now, by the way, that isn't your home. It's not your home. Spiritually, we are foreigners if we are Christians. And I wanted to prove that to you with a verse. And as I was preparing, I was looking because I really wanted to find the verse out of one book only. I mean, if I'm gonna prove to you that you're a Hebrew, then I really wanted to find that verse in the book of Hebrews. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? I got 66 books to find it, right? But I really wanted to find it out of the book of Hebrews. And I was looking through, and I couldn't find it, and I was a little frustrated, and I just said, okay, fine, this was earlier in the week. And so then uh, yesterday, um, I'm on the treadmill, I'm doing my miles, um, because I'm not going out there, it's freezing out. Um, I'm not as brave as my wife, who did go out there and and run her miles. So I'm on this treadmill, and, and I'm going, and I'm running, and I'm just thinking about the message, and... And then all of a sudden, it just came to me. And where was that verse that came to me? It was right out of Hebrews chapter 11. I think you're going to love it. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when Abraham went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, his sons, heirs with him of the same promise. Now you might read that and think to yourself, oh, the land of promise, Canaan, that place that exists right now, or Jerusalem is. But that's not what Abraham was thinking about. No, it's by faith. And Abraham was looking forward, verse 10, to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is god what city did abraham have in mind heaven the new jerusalem that's what he was looking forward to so we're hebrews spiritually speaking this is not our home in fact paul says it wonderfully in philippians three twenty, and we sang it this morning our citizenship is where heaven that's right our citizenship is in heaven but right now we have to live here so we're Hebrews right now because we're living in a foreign land. That's not our home. And I would love to give you this great pep talk so you know what to do now, but I'm gonna, I, I just can't do it as good as Joshua. Joshua does it way better, and you're going to see why. Remember how he brought those people together and he said, look how far we've come. I mean, we're, we've come from beyond the river. That's why we, we're called Hebrews. He reminded them then that God will rescue you. God will rescue you. He rescued Moses, and he'll rescue you. And when God rescues you, how do you respond to that? When God rescues you, your response is your worship. And Joshua gave them this pep talk to say, this is how you need to respond to God. He's rescued you, and this is what you need to do. Verse 14, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether it's the gods your fathers served in that region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Surely you've heard that before. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. Now, I may know where you're at on your journey, and I may not know. This may be your first time. I may have just met you. But I may know your story a little bit. I don't know where you're at on your journey. Maybe your journey hasn't even begun. Maybe you're not even a Christian yet, and God hasn't rescued you yet because you haven't seen your need for a rescue until now. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a little while, or, or maybe it's kind of been up and down over the years, and God's still you know, kind of smoothing out those rough edges that you have. Or maybe you've been walking with God for decades, but you know, just like I do, God isn't finished with you yet. So wherever you're at, you've got to know this, God has a plan. He has the perfect plan for you. His plan is to rescue you. But you don't know that unless you serve God, which is what Joshua is saying here. If you serve yourself, you'll never know his plan. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. And I, want to, I, I hope, my, my hope is, my prayer is, is that everyone here would say that. That no matter what's going on in your life, that you would say, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to put the Lord first in my life. So I have a challenge for you. Something that help you remind... Uh, remember this message and and what you're supposed to do in terms of serving the Lord. My challenge to you is to pray at one to the one. Pray at one to the one. So set your alarm or your calendar for 1 o'clock, 1 p.m., every day. Put it on repeat. I've already done it. All right, I'm I'm leading by example. But pray at one to the one, and every day at 1 o'clock, Pray and ask God to rescue you. Ask him to help you get out of danger and death. Draw you out. We all have temptations, don't we? Ask him to help you. Ask him to protect your devotion time, your time that you spend praying and reading your Bible, because God wants you to grow up spiritually. Just like we love little children to grow up, we want to see Spiritual children, grow up spiritually. So ask God to protect your, your, your quiet time. And if you've never asked God for forgiveness, ask him for forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, he will forgive you. Ask God to rescue you. Pray at one to the one true God. Let's pray. Father. You are so wonderful to us, so almighty. Your your plans are amazing. Your rescue plan is truly the best plan. And Father, I ask as we pray together that you bring a blessing upon us as we seek you with all our heart. God, you know the intentions of our heart when we pray. You you already know what we're going to pray for. But we pray because... We love you, and and we want to have fellowship with you, and we want to spend time with you, and we want to know who you are and your character. And today you revealed to us how your character is, that you're all-powerful, and that you can do anything, and no matter what situation we're in, you can rescue us from that. So God, I pray that we would just turn to you, surrender it all, and ask you to rescue us. I pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen.